Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Latter-day Takes. It's good to be back on a Friday. Hope you all are looking forward to an awesome weekend, Christmas season, doing some Christmas activities, whatever that may be. I am actually going to go see The Christmas Carol tomorrow for the second year in a row. How about that? My sister makes it a tradition. She happened to have an extra ticket, so I'm going again. Anyway, um, hope you all have had a great week as well. On today's episode... We'll get a little bit of the news out there. I'm going to talk about Brittany Griner and the prison swap. I'm going to talk about a certain national treasure's death this last week that I didn't mention earlier, and I didn't mention the Brittany Griner thing either, but those are things that I should have talked about last Monday, but for obvious reasons probably forgot about. And also, um, I'm going to close it out. Well, today's guest is Aaron Karchner, part of BYU Sports Bros podcast that he's actually you know, hung up the headphones and he doesn't really do it anymore. But I appreciate him coming around this time because they kind of had a controversial falling out on Twitter. I mean, it wasn't really that controversial, but it was kind of funny more than anything because what had happened was he stirred up up the pot a little bit too much, apparently, for BYU fans liking. And people started to kind of boycott them and everything. And he's just like, this is kind of ridiculous. Twitter's not fun anymore. So they bounced. I wanted him to come on to talk about that, how that fallout happened, and then also get some of his thoughts on the current state of BYU sports um, from one fellow podcaster to the other. Anyway, so it's a good conversation that we had. And then I close it out with a spiritual segment. Um, I talk a little bit more about what was said by Bishop, my bishop that was in my disciplinary council um, that I talked about, obviously, on Monday and the scripture he had shared and the conversation we had had this week. And it was a really good conversation. And among a couple other things, talking a little bit more repentance and kind of the uh, aftermath of sharing that very, uh, you know, heartfelt episode, I thought, if I do say so myself, sorry, um, on Monday. That was really, you know, close to the chest, very personal. But anyway, I just meant to do it to help people. And your guys' feedback was amazing. With that, we'll go ahead and get to the rest of the podcast. Before we get started on the podcast, I do want to give a shout out to a sponsor, uh, Odyssey Snacks. We're back at it, guys. These these protein bars, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you are amazing. Now, you have six flavors to choose from. It's Odyssey Snacks. You can find these on odysseysnacks.com. You can also find these on Amazon. Now, if you go to odysseysnacks.com and type in my promo code, HARPY10, You'll actually get 10% off, so who doesn't love that? But let me tell you, we have mint chocolate brownie, peanut butter chocolate chip, dark chocolate almond, vanilla blueberry, mocha chocolate crisp, and my personal favorite, banana chocolate chip peanut butter. The consistency of these bars is amazing. The taste of all of these, I've had them all, is amazing. I promise you, I'm not just kidding. And I've had a lot of protein bars in my life. I like the Fit Crunch one. I like the G2G, but these are honestly better the macros are amazing, and they actually make you feel pretty energized. Like, you can hit the gym pretty hard with these. I would know, guys, not because I'm a total meathead, but maybe because I'm a little bit of a meathead. I fasted for three days, and then I was cra- – I no joke, I was craving these bars. Maybe I'll tell you guys more about that at another time, but I literally did not eat any calories for almost an, exactly 72 hours straight. I mean, at 66 – that wasn't because I couldn't make it to 72. That was just because I figured I was doing a measurement and I was like, oh, I was done. Might as well eat. Anyway, 
I craved these bars because they taste delicious. Great on the macros. Check them out. You will not regret it. OdysseySnacks.com slash Harpy10. We'll take you right there to the discount page, or you can enter it in the checkout as a promo code, H-A-R-P-E-Y-1-0, and you get 10% off. Would make a great Christmas gift. Would make a great snack to go to the gym, traveling, whatever you see fit. Anyway, enjoy it, guys. Check it out. Love you all. Catch you later. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, a couple things I want to talk about today. Um... Now, I missed this kind of earlier this week. I could have talked about it then, but it was kind of a special podcast, so there's probably just a lot on my mind. I didn't really know exactly which direction I wanted to go, but um, the news segment is back a little bit, I guess. I guess it's just whenever it's convenient to me and whenever there's something interesting out there to me, so I guess it's a little bit selfish. Sorry about that. However, two things I want to talk about majorly, one of which was um, Mike Leach passed away unexpectedly that of a heart attack it's kind of i guess it sounds like a heart attack i think is what it was um he was at home just kind of out of the blue and then i think they had to he, he was in a coma from the moment that it happened and then was in the hospital and never came to and had to take him off life support really really tragic scenario and the reason why i wanted to comment on it is because Mike Leach actually obviously has a connection to BYU, having gone there as an undergrad. He was a rugby player there, I believe, and then started off as an assistant. He was a GA, a grad assistant, right out of college because he witnessed Lavelle Edwards' coaching. And I read about this in a book called The System, which is a book on college football written by Jeff Benedict, and uh, I can't remember his co-author. But anyway, really interesting book. talks about this story. Mike Leach was so taken aback by watching a beautiful display of football, as he put it, essentially, at uh, what is now known as Lavelle Edwards Stadium, but it was Cougar Stadium at the time when Lavelle was coaching there in the 80s. And Mike Leach was like, this is amazing. I want to coach football now. And so from there, kind of became a part of Lavelle Edwards' coaching tree. And not, I mean, he went off to coach and really kind of his formidable coaching years were with other coaches, but he credited Lavelle with his air raid attack. And Leach was really known for that. And so that was kind of a cool little side note, random connection. But one thing that I'll really miss about Mike Leach is his authenticity. And that was probably been the word that's been said the most since his death is just that he was very authentic. Now he's kind of a curmudgeon at times, right? He was a little bit hard on people here and there. Not, I mean, you don't really hear any stories about him being a jerk, but it was just kind of, he's very straightforward, deadpan, doesn't really care about a lot of how people might receive his message or how they might receive his emotion or attitude. He just kind of is who he is, which is, you know, there's something to respect about that in a lot of ways. But it turns out he actually really was a nice guy, and he did a lot of things to reach out to a lot of different people to encourage them to keep going with whatever profession they were in and things like that. So you heard a lot of those good stories. And I'll be honest, his death hit a little bit harder than I thought maybe it would. 
I'm not a big celebrity deaths guy. I just, I, I don't really get, you know, into the weeds with all that. I know some people are really affected by that, but um, there are a few times when I see it, and I know there are people out there right now that when they die, I'll feel that um, a little bit more than I'd like to admit, probably. But Leach is kind of one of those. It's like he, he was such a, a gem when it came to college football. He was always kind of that nice comic relief that we all needed in in the amidst the intensity of college football and we don't have that anymore and it's it's really saddening really really too bad but wanted to touch on that we'll miss you mike leach um truly an american treasure other thing i want to talk about today is the prisoner swap that took place with Brittany griner right it's majorly sports related um a lot of people have been saying a lot of things about this i i i initially i was just like this kind of ridiculous that we had to swap out a spy for Brittany Griner, like all that. But here's the thing. There are, there is a little bit of a nuance to this. And I just have a question. And, and this more is because of my naivety. So I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but I do want to throw out this question there too, which is that I think there are different standards for a, a normal citizen of the country when they're being imprisoned across seas, especially in a territory that we're not, on the friendliest of terms with, right? Kind of the goal is to just get him out of there. Now, when it comes to a spy, perhaps, that is imprisoned by our enemy, or, I mean, yes, Russia's kind of an enemy, but you know what I mean in this case. And this spy kind of knew what they were getting into. They're a government official. They went across seas to, you know, essentially do illegal work in that territory, in that country. When they sign up for that, the rules change a little bit, whereas a basketball player who, don't get me wrong, everybody, like I'm I'm no fan of Brittany Griner's. I think she's got a lot of issues, a lot of baggage. I don't love the fact that she's been open about kind of her problems with this country and, and, and really kind of in everybody's face about that. I'm not I'm really not a fan of hers at all. However, when it comes to just your average citizen, think of it like if it was your brother, your sister, someone, anybody, a close friend who was over there in Russia, did something stupid, absent-minded, and was put into prison for months. You kind of think, well, what can the government do to get them back, right? Now, here's the part where it gets a little bit more nuanced, is that I don't know why we had to necessarily trade a spy of theirs that we caught for her. That I don't know the details behind that. I'm not going to sit here and say that's ridiculous. It sucks that that was the cost because catching a Russian spy, an arms dealer specifically. I don't even know if it was actually a spy, but it was a Russian arms dealer, right? Um, that we had caught and imprisoned. They wanted us to release him for Brittany Griner. We did. Now, that's obviously not an even trade when it comes to the ramifications for criminals. However, is that all we had? I would like to think that, yes, that was the only card we had to play. I don't know. And that's where I'm not sure anybody can really answer that question. I would imagine there were other negotiations that could have taken place, but whatever it was, maybe Russia was just hell-bent on not giving her back until they got exactly what they wanted. I don't know the details, but I just think those questions are worth asking because we can all jump to, we can jump to all sorts of conclusions and say whoever's an idiot for doing this, right? And we just don't know the details. It doesn't seem like a fair trade, but at the same time, she is an average citizen that probably needs special treatment in terms of getting her back. That's kind of how I feel. I just don't know to what degree that makes sense. Anyway, want to throw my thoughts out there for that. Other thing I wanted to talk about really quickly before we go to the rest of the episode 
is that you all were so very, very nice on your feedback my last episode. Um, it was very heartwarming and touching to see a bunch of you reach out and share your own experiences, share how much you liked it and things along those lines. Um, because my goal was to make that resonate. I wanted it to kind of inspire people in some senses to you know, look to the atonement and look to ways that they can change their own trajectory right, based on their own actions. So I, that's kind of why I was just taking the time to do that. And your love was amazing. And if you recall from last episode, I mentioned Bishop Voorhees, who was right next to me. He was my bishop during the time he was right there um, during the disciplinary council that I went through. And he, he called me, actually, the other day. Uh, and I was half expecting his call, I'll be honest, because I did think he listened at least um, to a, a big chunk of my podcast episodes. I figured he'd listen to this one, and he called me when he did. And it was so great hearing from him again. It was it was great. He's It's such an amazing memory that I have in my life. And just to hear his voice and hear his bold personality and someone who I respect and admire so much, his love for the scriptures is palpable. And he called to tell me he remembered what he shared with me when we were in the waiting room. And this is a scripture worth sharing. I will share it on the back end of this podcast because it does fall into play for kind of the spiritual segment. So I'm going to save it for that. If you want to catch that, you can just speed right through, catch that on the end. Um, it's worth it's worth listening to, I think. It was an awesome scripture and it was relevant. I'll leave it at that. With that, we'll uh, go ahead and kick it to the main part of this episode. Hope you all are having a great week and looking forward to a great weekend. Love you all and we'll catch you on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, joining me on today's podcast is somebody that I'm selfishly excited to talk to, I'll be honest. This is somebody I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm pumped, maybe more pumped than most of my listeners. Hopefully that's not the case, but it's Aaron Karchner. Is that how you say it, Karchner? Yep, nailed it. Uh, from the BYU Sports Bros that come under some controversy in the la- uh, last couple months for some, some of their tweets, which I, on a personal level, I did not see anything wrong with them at all. I didn't. I thought they blew up for the wrong reasons. We'll get to that. But before we do, Aaron, I want to hear kind of your background. I want to hear a little bit more about the BYU Sports Bros podcast, kind of how that came about. And then let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk like what what you guys started saying that was really pissing some people off and things like that. Yeah, man. So first of all, thanks for having me on. This is super fun since me and my brother haven't been podcasting lately. So um, basically how it all started was about, man, 10, 11 years ago, me and my brother lived on opposite sides of the country. He was going to law school in Virginia. I was going to college in Idaho and it just, you know, we would always call each other before the game and we're talking basketball, football, and some volleyball too. And we would just talk about, you know, what needs to happen, what we see and just, you know, we were, were always opinionated, but also, you know, we both played sports growing up. So I don't feel like we were completely stupid on the matter and we would just talk. And then one day. Man, I almost remember, like, it was yesterday, I was like, man, we should, like, start putting our opinions, like, out for the world to see. 
Not even like thinking we're going to make money. We're not going to get famous. It had nothing to do with that. It was just like, let's talk to other fans. And so we started up a blog spot blog, and we just did that for, I don't know, about a year, maybe two or three. And it would just be like weekly podcasts, especially during football seasons. Um, and then basketball season we do, and we, we touched on some other sports, but then we started realizing that like our base was really BYU, right? Like we, we branched into other college football stuff and, and some NBA and NFL, but it's like, you know what, BYU is what we are both really passionate about, what we're really knowledgeable about and where we just have a base. And so that's how it started, um, was cause we were just brothers on opposite ends of the country and just love talking sports. And then over the years, it just kind of evolved a little bit more. And then there was one year that Andy actually broke a recruiting story. Man, I'm trying to remember who it was that he broke. Oh, no, it wasn't a recruiting story. It was Cody Hoffman. When he got suspended, uh, I think it was to begin the year, uh, he was one of the first people to break it on Twitter. And that kind of, like, blew our following up. That was the initial, like, wow, these people, like, know what they're doing. I remember how Andy got the scoop. But... Uh, and so we kind of started doing some interviews with people. We interviewed a ton of former players. Um, we've interviewed some news media guys. Um, just, you know, just being casual, not, not trying to be more than what we were. We were fans that were talking about BYU sports, that had opinions, whether they were controversial or not. And we just wanted to talk to people about it. And again, we never tried to take ourselves too seriously. And it just, it got really fun. And that's kind of how it got started. Dude, that is eerily similar to how mine started actually now yeah. i was planning on telling you this anyway because i thought it was interesting it's so i haven't my obviously the podcast name is latter day takes but that's because that evolved from the first name which came about very similarly to it was a friend of mine we'd always talk after byu games and we'd give our opinions and just i was kind of like you know this is the type of authenticity that i feel like is lacking uh in the overall byu sports journalism realm and i'll get to that later but um i was like we should really look into just kind of sharing our our opinions out there right and i'm sure people anybody listening to this that is really in that arena which i know i know there's a few uh might just be laughing and be like oh yeah anybody with an opinion thinks it's valuable i'm sure but regardless um <laughs> i thought we were entertaining enough so we started we started the podcast. The title was Fifty Shades of Blue because <laughs> just kind of wanted to talk about like we wanted to talk about all the blue goggle stuff that we had because we are. We're like we're sycophants, right? We know we're biased. We love BYU. We grew up cheering for them our whole lives. But then we wanted to talk about the other side, which is sometimes being a BYU sports fan sucks. And funny enough, now is kind of one of those times, and we'll even get to that also later. But so we started talking and – most of my listeners already kind of know this story, but we put out like 30 or so episodes on that. Um, Jonathan Tavernari, I, I, I went after him for one of my episodes because I was, I had strong opinions about how he was openly advocating for athletes to not go on missions. And I was like, listen, I'm not saying all athletes have to go on a mission, but to say like, if you have better, not all athletes, and to, in his defense, he said, like, if you're going to be a star athlete, which that's all subjective anyway. I don't know how you'd really gauge that. But regardless, sure. his whole thing was, if you're going to be a star athlete, you can serve the church better by being really good at your sport and bringing people to the church that way, which I understand there's an argument for that. But at the same time, I don't love hearing him opine saying that they shouldn't, and that's, that's the word he used, they shouldn't use, or they shouldn't go on a mission if they're going to be a star athlete when he never served a mission. 
I, I, I thought that was a little bit off base. I'm like, well, you didn't serve one, so how could you ever like discourage somebody from not going? That was my opinion. Anyway, I probably went after him a little bit harsh. He goes out on Twitter and he's like, Cougar Nation, who is Harper Anderson? <laughs> and like the whole thing. Yeah, I love the and Twitter like, blast. The Twitter blast when people try to bring the mafia against you, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. He has since become my favorite follow on Twitter for all the wrong reasons. But anyway, that's neither here nor there for now. But um, so, yeah, then it evolved to Latter day takes. And that was mainly because, you know, a jaded BYU sports take could only handle so much in terms of what there was to talk about. So, I started venturing off in other topics, and I like talking about the church. I like talking about Utah culture. I like talking about the gospel, BYU, all things like that. You know, I'll talk about Elder Holland and his talk, the, the, the devotional he gave to the faculty, like, in August 2021. Or, sorry, yeah, 2021, I think. Um, you know, the musket fire and all that stuff. So, like, I'll talk about all that, and that's why it's evolved to what it is now. But BYU sports is always kind of an underlying thing that I try to touch on, especially when it's relevant, especially that racial stuff. And this is where I think you and I intersect a little bit because I started putting some guys on blast on Twitter um, that were, you know, like the Joe Wheat, the um, Jeff Hansen, all those types. Now, Jeff actually came on and did a podcast with me to kind of clear the air, which I really appreciated. I thought that was really cool of him to do that um, because I called them all out because they were so quick to throw BYU under the bus. And their fans and being like, oh, yeah, these racist allegations must be true. So there it is. And I'm like, why aren't you qualifying that and saying, if this is true, this is a problem instead of just immediately believing it and saying we can be better because there was that inherent acceptance that we are racist. And I'm like, I refuse to believe that. I need more information. You came out kind of similarly with a strong opinion against kind of the main fold of those that talk BYU sports, the main part of Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, it was calling Kalani out for having a rough go as a coach this season. But I'm going to let you take over from here because I want to hear it from like beginning to end and how this all became combative, what they were saying versus what you were saying and everything in between. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's, let's go back. I mean, even a couple of years we have been, we had created a, uh, persona on Twitter between the two of us of being negative Nancys, right? That's what we did is anytime something negative happened on the court, off the court, on the field, whatever, we were the first ones to say it. So everybody's always, you know, the sports bros, they're just negative. You can't take anything they say. And you know Do you have what? any examples? Like, I'm not going to lie. Oh, man, well, guys- anything. We're talking just somebody from just, you know, making a really bad decision on the field, you know, like that was a bad read, and you threw an interception to – you know, Kalani hiring his buddies as his defensive coordinator. You know, just like anything that was negative, we were at least that's this is how Twitter labeled us. This is not something we sought out. It was just we would call it out. We'd be like, wow, this seems like a really stupid play call. Or this seems like call a really stupid hire. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like and I think and one thing we just learned in through the hard way is that just Twitter can't accept somebody that's gonna call a spade a spade. You know, you gotta be Blue, true blue, and if you do anything against, if you say anything against BYU, it's staff, it's players, it's university, it's whatever, you're not a fan, and then the the fan police come out, and me and Andy both just were kind of like, you know what, that's just so stupid, and it's just, and I guess I probably more so than Andy just got really irritated with people thinking that their opinion is the only opinion that matters. And I get a little more combative than Andy. Andy tries to be a little more 
politically correct. He's a little more well-spoken. Me, I'm really the it's emotional law one. Law school education coming into play, perhaps. It is the law. It's the lawyer in him. You know, he's he's a former assistant DA. He's I, I probably shouldn't say what he is now for security purposes, but you know, he's okay. he's a lawyer. He's sure. an active lawyer. So, but you know, so yeah, he he does the lawyer speak. Whereas me, I'm like, no, I'm gonna say it how I feel it. And if you don't like it, that's what it is. So what happened was, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact tweet. Basically. Throughout this season, and honestly, Kalani's tenure as BYU's head coach, um, he's been very aggressive. Fourth and three at the 40-yard line, they go for it. You know, going for the two-point conversion against Utah. And, and one can argue these are understandable decisions. You know, some are, some aren't, whatever. Um, and we've kind of just come accustomed to that over seven years. But then there are times where I have just really felt like he just doesn't read the team well over the course of a season. It's one thing in a game if your team is playing really well and you go get a fourth and one. It's one thing when this year, BYU, I don't remember the exact number, is you know four for 21 on fourth downs, and they still go for it. And then they call these plays that are just... They, they, they run fourth and one behind line of the scrimmage, you know, screen passes or... You know, just really, you know, drop it. Just things that I just felt to be very low IQ plays. Like, read your stats, man. You are one of the worst teams in the country at going for it on fourth down. I'm all about being a player's coach, but at the same time, to be a player's coach, you've got to put the players in the best position to succeed. And if you continually put them in bad positions to succeed, in my opinion, that's a really low IQ move to continue to do that. And then you, you compound that with really poor play calls to then not succeed. And so I put out a tweet. I, I don't remember it exactly, but basically I said, Kalani's got a really low IQ. I don't trust him. I don't believe in him. I think he has continued to say that. And holy crap, Twitter freaked out. Okay. So in fairness, I probably should have put football IQ. I was not saying that Kalani Sataki has an IQ of 35 as an idiot. But for some Which reason, you clarified time and time I, again, by the way, because I, I was going through I, some of those today. Yes, I clarified dozens of times. And one kind of unwritten policy that Andy and I had was we don't delete tweets. We stand by what we say, whether they're controversial, whether we shouldn't have said it, whatever. It was like, this is what we said. We're not going to go hide behind the deleted tweet. And so I just kept clarifying. And I would clear anybody who asked, I would just say, hey, my bad. I should have said football IQ. I just thought that the average BYU fan would infer that that meant football IQ, given the context of the conversation as a whole was talking about football. But I was wrong. They all thought I was calling him an idiot and stupid, and then they're like, you need to delete this tweet. And, you know, then they just started getting personal attacks. One guy, you know, a couple guys actually wanted to go fists over it. And I was just like, holy crap, people. Like, I get it. Like, I can see where you would construe this in this way or whatever. Um, but you want to fight me because I have an opinion you don't agree? I'm like, are you really that immature? Are you really like that sensitive? And that kind of was probably compounded because the the previous two or three weeks, I personally, I'm, I'm not going to speak for Andy. I personally was just getting really fed up with BYU's eternal optimism that they are God's chosen football university to go forth and bring forth another 1984 season. And it's just like, guys, like, we got to call what it is. Like, this team is underperforming. This coach is underperforming. This whatever it is. And they just didn't want to hear it. And so I just was sick of that and just started calling people out and quite blatantly and just saying, like, 
no, that's not right. This is how it is. You're stupid. Now I, now I was doing exactly what they're doing to me, right? Calling them dumb. And I'll admit I was going down to their level because I got emotional. I just was sick of being. I think the other thing that really frustrates me is when I'm right and proven right time and time and time again, but people refuse to admit that I'm right. That bugs the heck out of me. Like it does and it shouldn't. That's immature. That's, that's a idiosyncrasy of mine. But man, I was just done. I was done being right every single week of my evaluation of whether it be a player, a coach, a scheme, whatever. And I was just done. And so I just started telling people and probably got a little abrasive. And so in the end, Andy and I have, uh, we've actually gotten off Twitter. We just deleted Twitter. We just said, you know what, we're not, and we thought about putting out an apology, putting out a statement, if you will, just because we kind of realized that we, we played a role in evolving Twitter into a negative scape in some contexts. I'm not saying that we are the only negative ones or that we only put out negative content because we didn't, but people like to think that. Um, we thought about putting out a statement. As a matter of fact, I still have the draft on my phone that we, we kind of put together to get, um, we put together as a team and just decided, you know, we're just going to go quietly off into the distance and just let BYU Twitter become the cougar board that they deny they are. <laughs> and um, just kind of be like, you know what, we're gonna we're just gonna let these people. And the other thing that's, I don't know, I could just go off on Twitter. We just kind of, it just wasn't a positive force in our lives anymore. It was really fun early on to get on Twitter and have conversations with people back and forth about our opinions, about um, just really good, wholesome conversation. It just turned into threats and people thinking we are literally the only negative people on Twitter. When really, it's just. I'm sorry, but when a quarterback throws an interception, like, you're upset too, right? Like, I mean, why is it that because I say I'm upset on Twitter that I'm ostracized? I don't know. That just never made sense to me. And to me, this was kind of a good microcosm of what BYU Twitter is, that unless you only post positive stuff, you're the cancer of BYU Twitter and the fan base, and you're one of the 10 percenters, you know? Like, that just got really old and really dumb, and I, I was done defending Myself defending Andy, um, I had to have a couple phone conversations with people that personally attacked me and Andy over stuff. And you, you actually talked with these people? A couple people that I know that I have, I had um, associations with some of our years on previous websites and stuff like that. That um, I just, I just said, hey, like I, I'm not one to shy away from having conversations. I'm not a keyboard warrior, right? Like if, if I got an issue with you. Let's have a phone call. I'm not, and that issue is not, let's have a phone call to cuss each other out. It's let's talk about this because texting, emailing, all that, you don't get tone, right? You don't get, you don't really get the full understanding. So I called a couple of people and just said like, Hey, here's how I'm. Yeah. And I I think everybody can agree with that, but there's nobody. And I say this in con, nobody just has the gall to do that. They want to hide behind their keyboard and text and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't apologize. First of all, I just said, Hey, you said this about my brother. I don't agree with that. You don't have all the information. You're assuming they come back. You know, we have a back and forth, 15 minutes, air is cleared, boom, done. Um, I don't think a lot of people on Twitter would want to do that because I think they're a little too prideful. I mean, I'm prideful. I'm prideful as heck, but um, I'm not going to just let dumb stuff stay out there and not get resolved. Um, Why do you think... BYU is unique that way about like overly optimistic, pie in the sky, positivity, let that prevail. 
Because it does Ooh. seem unique at BYU. Now, granted, I don't know for sure, but that's the sense I get. Yeah. I feel like the SEC yeah, I would... like never makes any bones about it. Like they'll call a spade a spade. They will call people out. They'll say this is poor play. This is garbage. We need to do something about it. Boom. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I think I think I don't I don't think BYU is unique. I think you know that's our sphere. Right, which is okay. Like that's not a bad thing. That's the sphere we live in. But I do think there is something in the culture um, of the LDS culture, which obviously not everybody, but the vast majority of BYU fans are LDS. And I mean, kind of delving off into the the church culture, there's a bit of judgmentalism in the church culture, not preached in doctrine at all. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, but it just somehow breeds a little bit of judgmentalism and a little bit of. Uh, better, uh, higher, or at least this is perception. This is not necessarily true. There's this idea of holier than thou. You know, like it, that's the classic line when it's BYU versus Utah, right? Utah always says BYU thinks they're holier than thou. I think there's a little bit of truth to that. And again, I'm not saying that's everybody because it's not. Um, it's, I'm not saying it's you. I'm not saying it's me. I'm not saying it's Joe Schmo. I'm just saying I think that's a thing. Um, I think well, you could probably make that you, argument with the fact – I don't know if you've seen, but like this year it feels like they've especially tried to be accommodating to all away uh, like visiting p- fans. Like they'll give them ice cream. They'll like make sure everything – it's just like – They've been just, doing that for years. Have they? Yeah, I didn't well, know they've been I mean, giving them that fans are – yeah, that's, that's – I don't know. It's been a couple years. I remember I went to a game. I want to – I think it was the 2016 UCLA game and they were doing – like it's like within the last 10 years – I think also I start BYU showing up with the opposite team's jerseys on if I want some free ice cream. Man. <laughs> you can just sit in their section. They're a little sliver yeah. in that uh, northwest yeah, that, that north end zone. E- the northwest end zone. That's right. Yeah. 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 I think. I mean, every time you hear a fan base come, though, they're like BYU fans are the nicest people in the world, and they are. I mean, I I've gone to games all over the country, and I'll tell you what, LSU fans are the worst in the world. I was at that game in New Orleans, and they are pieces of work, but. So I, I don't know what drives the BYU. I think Andy and I have said this multiple times that the best and worst thing to happen to BYU was 1984, right? When you're talking about football, like the best thing is, excuse me, the best thing is they won a championship, right? The worst thing is they won a championship. So now, I mean, it changed how college football was run, like quite literally the BCS to try and keep little guys out. Um, it makes BYU fans think they're better than they are. Like, I think BYU fans just have this perception, and again, I'm talking strictly football here, that their program is a top 25 program. They're not. Like, they might be a top 40, 50, and then depending on the year, they can, you know, obviously polls will say one thing, but I'm just talking overall health and consistency of a program, right? They're not a top 25 consistent program. They're a top 40 you know, and then you get the 2020, 2021 Zach Wilson years, or sorry, 19, whatever it was, and you catapult them up. But they don't have it consistently. Under Bronco, right, you had those three years where you go, what was it, 11 and 2, 11 and 2, and 10 and 3, I think it was. It might have been 10 and 3 first. But you were a top 25 program then. But when you look at longevity, I don't think they are, uh, at least not right now, not in the recent 15 years. Let's call it the independence plus a couple years on the, the other end. Um, and I think BYU fans just hang their hat on 1984. It's like, well, we won. We're the only non-P5 champion in the last, you know, 40 years. So we're really amazing. Well, but you're just not, though. You, I mean, Hawaii and UConn made it to a BCS bowl game, and you never did. Like, I can't. And UConn is one of the worst Division One programs out there. But they broke the BCS 
I don't know when it was, 2009 or something like that. And Hawaii, oh, I too. Either. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it's within the last 15 years. And so I just it's hard for me to sit here and, and with people who just have these delusions of grandeur that what BYU is, I support this program. I went to five games this year, right? I, I went to Vegas. I went to all these games at home. My brother went to Oregon game. Right? I've traveled across the country. I support this program, but that doesn't mean I can't see where there's deficiencies and heaven forbid I call it out. Back to what you said about Kalani and the X's and O's thing. Was I mistaken or did people try and apply racism to what you were saying? <laughs> Wasn't there a lot of that? There, there was at least one that I can remember, and I think there might have been a second one. The good thing is, though, out of the one or two responses who like, you know, oh, you're being racist, there were multiple people, ironically, coming to my defense. Like, There's nothing racist about okay. this. And actually, one of the guys who I had a conversation with, he tried to bring that up, who I had a phone conversation with. He's like, you don't see how someone could look at that as racist. I said, no, because never once did I mention anything that even remotely was about racism. Just because he's a person of color does not mean that a criticism is race-based. That's what's funny about that is, is like it kind of acts as a litmus test of people that are racist. Like if you think that was racist, you might actually be racist because <laughs> you're like, wait a second. It's, you're the ones that are bringing up racism in this. I don't like you're the ones bringing up race. Other than that, you can yeah. just say, hey, I don't think he's that cerebral when it comes to calling plays and in situations, things right. like that. And then they're like, oh, because he's Polynesian? You're like, that had literally nothing no. to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It was When I saw that, I was I actually think I literally laughed out loud because, like, I don't know. I think – and I'm trying to remember the timeline. I think it was still within, like, a month of the volleyball situation. So the whole BYU race thing was really fresh. Everybody was defensive. Whichever side of the fence you were on, it doesn't matter. And I just remember sitting there and be like, dude, no. I – it has nothing to do with him being Polynesian. Nick Saban's not smart at football coaching because he's white. You know, that's just not how it is and how somebody – I agree. It's one of those classic, you know, I think there's a, a higher demand than there is a supply kind of thing. Um, I agree. Kind of a litmus test of – it was weird. But there, luckily, most everybody shut it down being like, no. Like, that's not racist. And I'm glad because – I, I think Kalani, and I have said this multiple times, is an amazing human being. Like, I really, really do. I think he, 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 everything that I've seen, read, watched, been there, like, he just seems like a really great person. Um, but I don't think he's an amazing football coach. I, just, I think he's a good football coach. I think he'd probably be a better coordinator. Um, so but let's again, get into this a little bit, race, actually. So. It's, it's funny you say that because – I actually think he'd be a better head coach than he would be coordinator. Actually, what I really think is that the jury's still out of him as a head coach. But I think the chances are that he's a better head coach than he is a coordinator. And here's my reasoning, and I'll tell you why. Is that, to your point, like in terms of his situational X's and O's stuff, that seems more coordinating to me. Also, we don't outside of the umbrella of Kyle Whittingham's defense, we're not sure how good of a defensive coordinator Kalani was because we know that before Kalani became D coordinator at Utah, they were already really good at defense. And we also know that when he left, they would continue to be good at defense. And we also know sure. that Oregon State was complete garbage 
while he was defensive coordinator there. And that's when he got the head coaching job at BYU. So I'm not even calling out Kalani. I actually still think, like, listen, I'm still good giving him a chance. I'm not calling for his job or anything like that. I'm simply saying we're not totally sure how good of a coach he is based off of how he's been as a coordinator. There might be a better chance he's actually a better head coach, and the reason being because he is an emotional leader. Now, granted, that cuts both ways, and I think that's exactly what you saw this season. The emotional side got us through the Baylor game. But then once we saw a chink in the armor, the whole thing fell. It was kind of a house of cards, and then you got that, what, four or five-game skid? And you're just like, this is so ugly yeah. because if all you have is emotion, then you're screwed when, like, when the – what is it? What do they call it? Like, the, when the going gets rough. Like, you, what are you going to do, yeah. right? You can't fall back on this, okay, hold on, let's recalibrate. Let's get – like, just go through the basics. Let's just be a good team. Let's put up our defenses, and let's go through what we know about schemes. And it feels like that went largely ignored. So that's why I still think maybe the jury's still out. Getting Jay Hill could be huge. And Jay Hill might actually be, at the end of the day, a great head coach too when push comes to shove. But we'll see when that happens. So I don't know. That, that, those are my thoughts initially on Kalani right now. I, I'm glad you bring up the emotion thing because this is a, a classic example of something that I had been shouting from the rooftops on Twitter for years about Kalani. And so many people, I'm not going to go off and give them the pleasure of naming them by name on here because I could, and I know exactly who they are. We're always like, no, that's not true. Not true at all. And then after about four or five direct instances where it showed true, he's like, oh, wow, it might be true. And I was like, dude, (laughs) it's BYU plays how Kalani emotes. If he is fired up on the sideline and he's, you know, doing the haka down there and he's screaming, his players 100% 100% correlation play like that. When he is moping on the sideline and head down, not talking to anybody, BYU plays like that on the field. It is a 100% correlation, and nobody will convince me otherwise. And you can sit here and say correlation is not causation. In this case, it is. And I will die on that hilltop, and I am 100% right, and I will not waver on that whatsoever. So because sure, it is proven just, time and time again. Just to put you on the spot a little bit, you're sure that the the egg in this case, if the egg comes before the chicken, is Kalani's emotion. 100%. I 100% believe that. And I think you can really back that up a lot when people say he's a player's coach. Well, that means he he coaches to the players, and the players want to resemble him, right? That's what a player's coach is. And when he is fired, I mean, look no further. The perfect example of this, and you, you cannot find a better example, is in the Utah game when Francis Bernard, I think, got a P.I. or there was something like that. This is when he was on BYU, when he was a linebacker. And Kalani started freaking out because he didn't like the flag. I don't remember exactly what the flag was, but it was a really questionable flag on BYU. The very And then so Kalani's freaking out, you know, getting up in the ref's faces, you know, telling his defense to do some explicitive things. And the next play... Francis Bernard gets like a one-handed interception and that defense is going wild and the game shifts. And now, sure, an interception is not always based on that, but you could just see the fire on the team. And that is the perfect example. That, And because of that, that's where this is where I kind of believe that his, his head coaching ability a little bit wavers because I think coaches need to be consistent. And if you're inconsistent and your players play how you are reacting, you have to be consistent in that reaction. If you are not your team won't be consistent. The other thing that I think has failed in his leadership, and this is well chronicled and also something the BYU fans will jump down my neck about, is his 
infatuation and love of hiring his buddies and being too loyal to them when they don't deserve it. Tuiaki is the primest example. And then everybody after the Baylor game, the phrase was always, we owe Tuiaki an apology. No, we oh don't. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, I remember seeing you guys. I think right I started, twice a day. I started following you guys around that time, and I could yeah, not agree more. I'm like, are you kidding yeah, me? We, are you, I'm not no, apologizing I'm, for anything. I was in the same boat as you. I'm like, this Tuiaki has been yeah. the biggest weakness to our team for that whole time. I thought. Yeah, and, and like, don't get me wrong. Like, Tuiaki has had some really great games. But when you have one great game a year, Baylor, USC in 2019, when you know you're dropping eight all that time, um, you know, Wisconsin, you know, like when you have one great game a season, that's not good coaching. Again, consistency. And because Tuiaki was Kalani's best friend, which I appreciate, again, uh, from a human being perspective, Kalani's being loyal to his friend, which is great but it was to the detriment of the team and the program. And I thought it was actually kind of came out a little bit in Jay Hill's interviews after he got hired this last week where he kind of, he, he, he wasn't purposely taking shots at, at Tuiaki, but he was kind of saying like, yeah, we, we have to be multiple and we have to do different things. We have to be, yeah, I don't yeah. remember the exact verbiage, but basically you could tell he was saying their defense wasn't doing anything special. And so mm-hmm. quarterbacks got comfortable. And so that, that, that to me, Kalani's just in it. And then he, the, the rumor was that Tuiaki tried to resign after the Arkansas game. And Kalani told him no and just demoted him. To me, that's not a good sign of leadership. And some people are like, oh, you got to have all hands on deck. Well, if the hands aren't right, no, you don't. It's the classic go to the book, good to great. You got to have the right people on the bus, and then you got to have them in the right position. If you have the wrong people on the bus, it doesn't matter what position you put them in. It's not doing you or the program any favors. So when when I saw that in October that he tried to resign and and Kalani didn't accept that, that to me took a huge hit on my trust in Kalani's leadership. That he can't see that the program is not progressing under, in this particular case, Tuiaki's leadership and the defensive side of the ball. I mean, look. Look at what Bronco did to Jaime Hill after the Utah State debacle in, what was it, 2012, I think it was, or something like that? 10, I think. It was Jake Heaps' year, right? Yeah, something like that. He said, hey, no, you're gone. Like, that's leadership. When you see an obvious kink in the armor and you say, no, we need to fix this right now. If that means we're going to be down one coach, so be it. He is obviously not helping. So those are just two examples of where I think Kalani really needs to improve. And so... You mentioned the Jay Hill hire. I have really mixed emotions on the Jay Hill hire. I, I think a lot of people love the hire because he was obviously really successful at Weber State, which is great to take a, a small program like Weber State and make them successful. That shows your ability to lead. It shows your ability to develop talent that is at an FCS level and get to a high level there. But then I got a little concerned when Kalani at the press conference was like, this is my buddy, this is my friend. I'm like, okay, I don't want to keep hiring buddies. Like, if you keep the same perspective continually coming back, you're not going to change. And BYU needs some changes. Those changes, I don't have those answers. Um, but that was a little just like, okay, he's hiring within the buddy program again, you know. And um, it'll be interesting to see who Hill comes in, uh, brings in under his staff, you know. I mean, you got Hadley leaving with Lamb. Uh, you got Papinga coming in to take over one of Lamb's responsibilities. Um, I, I just, I think that's a good thing, by the way, I think having Papinga back will be good personally. I'm a little biased because I think, so. 
I, I think there's him, but... there's a really interesting mix that BYU needs when it comes to coaching, and somebody like Gennaro Guilford is such a great part of that mix. One, he's been to BYU, so he knows the BYU experience. Two, he's a person of color. BYU obviously has their thing with people of color. I'm just going to put it in that sphere because it's really generic and really nuanced. Um, he's not a member. That, to me, is an even bigger thing that the staff needs. I should agree with that. More non-members. Yeah. They, they just need a more diversified staff. Experience. Yes, you know, yeah. and and I'm not sitting here saying, hey, go just hire anybody and everybody. But um, if you just continue to hire BYU guys, excuse me, or your buddy list, like that's not how I think the program is going to get to the next step, which is competing for the Big 12 title. Um, now, I'm a... You know, a guy sitting at home talking on podcasts and not out recruiting. So a lot of people like to tell me that. But at the same time, I mean, the track record speaks for itself. Um, To play devil's advocate for Kalani Stump and for his buddy, Jay Hill, um, I would say there's a couple differences here is that Jay Hill's resume eclipses Tuiaki's big time. So that one seems like a better hire on paper. Now – Taking it even outside of that, to your point about like it's his buddy, I think you'd be hard pressed to have Kalani to have, find anybody Kalani wouldn't say that about that didn't cross paths with, right? That's probably true. And they true. specifically that's coached at Utah together, and so if, if Kalani mm-hmm. doesn't say that, that's like that's almost weirder in a way. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's fair. Yeah. Is Kalani not like this guy because he loves everyone? <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's just my little devil's advocate. And I'm more, more of a hope than anything. Cause I'm with you. Like if it is turned out to be a friend thing, then you're just like, well, okay, we're just, we're doing the same thing. That's a freaking definition of insanity, right? Hoping for a different result. Yeah. But, yeah. um, well, those are fair points though. Yeah. So with, uh, you pointed out something that I thought was good though, in terms of like how he stumped for Tuiaki. Tuiaki wants to leave and he's like, no, like stay on after Arkansas. I actually didn't know that. Supposedly the rumor was that he wanted to leave after the Arkansas game, but that actually reminds me of Tom Homo. And I kind of wonder about the BYU culture and how much it has to do with him. Now I think Tom Homo's done a lot of good things. Um, I don't know if he deserves as much credit as he gets for getting us into the big 12, because I think most people in that scenario would have like fallen into that because BYU was just one of the best options. So I think timing more than anything. But regardless, Tom Homo is probably a pretty good dude, um, and I think he's done some good things. However, I lost a lot of trust in him when it came to Kalani's current contract and how he stumped for Kalani and wore the shirt that said um, extend Kalani in the locker oh, room. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, wait a second, what's happening here? Because as far as I'm concerned, the athletic director is an advocate for his shareholders who are the fans, the donors, all those people that just want to see success on the field. And here he is wearing a shirt that's meant to promote one of his friends, essentially one of his hires, whereas he should be holding this guy on the chopping block and saying, what are you going to prove to me and to us, the people that I represent, the shareholders, so to speak, that makes it so you think we should extend you, not... Hey, everybody, I think we should extend Kalani. It's like, no, 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 no. It doesn't really work that way. And I was really turned off by Tom Homo's approach there because I was like, you don't represent the coach. You represent us. I understand that he's your friend, and I understand that you'd like it to be a no-brainer. But after you beat UMass at home or whatever game that was on a crap – like a honestly fairly crappy season, you're just kind of like, what? Now, granted, it turned out to be – 
pretty good with the COVID year and all that stuff, but that COVID year means nothing to me. It means absolutely nothing. So I, I don't even say BYU was great that year, whatever. Zach Wilson's draft stock, that was the, the only year that could have put him at second in the NFL, I believe. Now, second pick in the draft. But anyway, I digress. That just reminded me of that whole situation. I wonder if that's just part of it, too, is that we're so scared to offend and, uh, and not be friends with everybody that we go the other way at the risk of, like, complete failure. But whatever. That, no, that's interesting. It's an interesting perspective because one thing I'll, I will say, Andy in particular is Tom Homo's biggest fan. Like he, he is a Tom Homo apologist. I love Tom Homo too, but that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't heard before. Um, one thing that, that Andy continually brings up as far as the defense of keeping Kalani or keeping whoever is in place is the, the coaching pool is so limited for BYU because of the requirements of needing to be you know an LDS member and all that kind of stuff. And to me, I say, well... Sure, your coaching pool is limited, but guess what? Bronco came out of nowhere. He was, you know, a defensive coordinator and a defensive assistant in New Mexico and a defensive coordinator, and then all of a sudden he became a pretty dang good head coach. So if you're just sitting here looking for the top three LDS names, you got Kalani, Kenny Matalolo, and who? You know, after that, I don't even know. You know, Ken, Kyle Whittingham, right? But he ain't going nowhere. So I, I've never liked that defense of – keeping somebody around just because you don't have somebody to replace him. Cause to me, that means you're accepting mediocrity if that is what is happening. And that's what BYU has been under Kalani. They're quite mediocre outside of two seasons. He had one of the worst seasons in 50 years and he's had two really good seasons to me. Again, let's go back to consistency. So I understand that criticism of, uh, of Tom Holmo. I think it probably is predicated on that idea of like, Hey, if we can't keep Kalani, who is the next guy? But if Kalani goes out next year in the Big 12, and okay, maybe next year's not the best example because first year in the Big 12, you'll have eight power fives or nine or whatever. You know, if they go four and eight, do we accept that next year because, you know, BYU's probably losing a bunch of NFL talent, um, not to mention they're banged up first year in the Big 12. Maybe next year we give them a wash. But if the second year, if they go four and eight again or five and seven, are we all of a sudden sitting here saying, we're okay with it because there's not a better option? To me, I'm not okay with that kind of mindset of accepting mediocrity just because you don't have the replacement lined up, even though BYU has interesting qualifications to become a coach. I'm just not okay with having worse seasons in 50 years, you know, losing to UAB in a bowl game, which going back to Tuyaki, he admitted that they, as coaches, didn't approach that game correctly. Like that just to me, again, just poor lead. That was one thing about this year in general. I just felt a lot of poor leadership, top down. I love Jaron Hall, also a great human being. Um, I just didn't feel like the on-field leadership was there. You know, Kalani's inconsistency. What players were out there calling out their players when they missed an assignment or they weren't in the right position? I just didn't see a lot of that, and that led to at least two losses of just, I just felt like poor leadership. There were, you know, at least two games where I think BYU was just obviously not the better team. Oregon was one of them, um, and probably Arkansas. They could have yeah. beaten Notre Dame. They should have beaten ECU. Um, you know, these are, and and Liberty, these are just Liberty was like at the time Liberty out, was but better, but also up. that just was a they didn't, and now and you don't show up because of lack of leadership. Yeah, I agree. When, when you're on a slide and you sit there and, and get blown out by Liberty, who ends up being a, a, a good team, but in the end, kind of mediocre. Right? They end up losing to UConn. Um, they go on a four game skid to end the year. You know, like that's poor leadership, and that starts at the top. And w- and one could argue, maybe, that it starts with uh, with Tom Homo. I don't know if I agree, but that's a very interesting perspective that I appreciate. So. 
Well, and I going back to that too with the the I agree with you that it's like that's not a good reason is not not having availability of of co- members of the church that are coaches as well, right? Because you're Gary Croton resume wise is the absolute best option you're ever going to have in that pool of coaches. Offensive coordinator in the NFL coming to BYU to coach, like that is so rare, so unique. And how did that pan out? Obviously not great. So yeah. that is one example of you're never going to find that resume out there just floating around that are available to hire, right? And it's such a unique time to have like or unique qualifications to be in that realm. But what we need to get used to, I believe, as BYU fans, basically in all sports, is because we have those limitations on us, you're going to have a lot of turnover. You're going to have two, three, four years at most where it's like, you know what? It's just not getting it done. Got to bounce this guy because we don't know. We know there's potential, but we know what potential actually means. It's not a sure thing. And so you have to hire these potential up-and-comers. Bronco Mendenhall was exactly that. We kind of fell into him too because he was really the second option behind Whittingham. Whittingham accepted the job for like an hour too apparently. <laughs> and then and then his kids were like, no, we're not. We're youths. And so he's like, all right, yeah, I don't feel good about this. Let's uh, – Let's stay at Utah. And then they're like, I guess, Bronco, do you want it? So he's like feeling even like they were neglect- he was neglected anyway. But he did really well. I thought Bronco's I'm – a, I'm, a, I'm a Bronco apologist, quite frankly. I was, I was sad to see him go. But anyway, I digress once again. I feel like I'm ranting. Um, before I kind of let you go, though, I wanted to ask you if there's anything you could take back about it or do you look back at everything that you did – and I really, I really don't know. I'm not. This is not a loaded question. I don't know what you're going to say. I'm just more curious. If there's anything you look at, you're like, maybe I wish I didn't actually say this or that or the other. No, not at all. I really don't. <clears throat> um, I know that might sound arrogant and cocky, oh, and whatever, I love but it, it's man. not. It's not about like I felt like I was always right. It's I, I'm going to speak my mind, and that was that was the whole point was just giving my opinions, right? And then seeing what those opinions yielded as far as conversation goes, right? Like, how is this going to be accepted? How is it not? What are good counterpoints? What are not good counterpoints? Do I have counterpoints to somebody's um, opinion about the same subject? So, no, I don't have any regrets. I had a, an absolute blast um, with my brother for over a decade recording our thoughts, going on Twitter and putting out way too many tweets in times we shouldn't have been tweeting, uh, talking to some really amazing BYU players over the years. And we had Ross Oppo on, we had Margin Hooks on, um, Ryan Hancock, you know, we, we talked to some of our, you know, we had Jamal Willis. Like I had a one-on-one conversation with like some BYU greats. And so um, the Sports Bros was a super fun venture for us, and, and we enjoyed the heck out of it. And it wasn't until about the last year we stopped enjoying it. It felt more like a burden. It felt like we were bringing the fan base down. Whether we were the only reason, we weren't, but we were the scapegoat. And at that point, it wasn't enjoyable for people we were um, interacting with. It wasn't enjoyable for us. And uh, But no regrets, man. I, I don't feel like I ever said anything where I was just like, wow, like I shouldn't have said that. Like I was, you know, I didn't say anything blatantly racist or, or bigoted, or at least I don't feel like I did. I just, I just don't apologize for having opinions. Um, and I also don't apologize if I offend you because guess what? I've been offended by you probably at some point too. And it just, I don't know, it's just the circle of life and it happens. And, um, I don't regret getting off Twitter either. I mean, I miss Twitter. I do because the funny thing is I got a lot of news from Twitter. I feel like I'm completely out of the loop. Um, so I miss it, but I don't miss the toxicity. 
Uh, I don't miss what it did to me where I always felt like I had to put something out there to be having conversations. So now it's just, it's relegated to a text thread with me, my brother, my dad, and my sister. And that's been fun because uh, it's basically Twitter within the family. And so there's a little less judgment there because we all just, whatever, you know, it's I would hope no so. hard feelings. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't regret it, man. It was, it was so much fun. Like I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, I just, I just, I guess I wish people were more receptive to different opinions, um, whatever those opinions are, and didn't take Twitter so seriously and attack. Like, this is not me regretting anything. This is more me, like, just kind of, like, my plea is don't think that what somebody puts out on Twitter, like, means that's the kind of person they are. Like, Like, people were talking about me as a husband and as a father because I had an opinion about... Uh, somebody's football IQ, and I just thought that was really weird, um, just how it devolved into madness. And so, <laughs> no regrets though. It was a great time. Oh, good for you, man. I honestly, I respect that. I respect you. Stand by what you said. Um, love it, dude. I uh, yeah. Well, I uh, it's sad to see you go. Right? I mean, you're done. You're hanging it up. No more podcasts for sure. No more Twitter for sure. Yeah. So I I. I didn't delete Twitter for about three weeks. I had it, but like you can hide it on your phone. You like hide the apps. Like I just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And then I checked it one time last week to, I think I was looking for news or something. And then I just said, you know what? I'm done. Like I I delete it. So it's gone. We're not going to do the podcast anymore. We're, we're just, uh, yeah, we're hanging it up. It's completely done. All right, man. Well, I may not speak for everybody, but we're going to miss you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I appreciate <at> that. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time. Seriously, I know this, uh, you're obviously a, a father. You've got a lot going on with your businesses and everything. But um, I thought it was refreshing to see people like you out there on Twitter because I personally am not a fan of the blue goggled people that are like, I don't know what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to talk about how much I love BYU sports. And I think a lot of the problem, too, that I see on with these people is – they're scared to say the wrong thing. They let the people that follow them dictate how they talk about things because they don't want to lose followers. They love where they're at right now, and so they feel like they're kind of in a box. Now, I, that's not all of them, by the way. That is not all of them. Sure. One one specifically that comes to mind is a close friend of mine. I, when I say close friend, it's not like we hang out, but I really like Jake Hatch. I think Jake is really good at, uh, at just saying it straight and um, – I've, I've, I've enjoyed listening to Jake. I feel like he calls balls and strikes where he sees them. And he's also a fan, but he's a fan that doesn't let that dictate how he talks about the team necessarily. But anyway, so not everybody's like that, but I feel like the majority out there are, and they're just kind of like, what do I say in order to maintain or gain maybe a little bit more popularity? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there, but that's just the sense I get. No, I, I think that's the social media world in general, right? People are looking. Yeah. I think that's just the social media world. Just people looking for likes, looking for follows, and that's just not what we were. And I'm going to – again, I'm not going to speak for Andy too much. I'm going to speak for me. Like that's just not – I wasn't there for that. I did not go to Twitter to get followers or sponsorships or get paid for this or anything. Um, I went there to share my opinions. And um, if you liked it, great. If you didn't, hey, that sometimes is really great too because you know what? Maybe I need to be proven wrong or shown a different avenue or you know whatever. So uh, I agree. I think you're 100% online with that, that people were just – they're so afraid in today's world right now, right? Like 
you're so afraid that you're going to offend somebody or this crowd or this generalized population of whoever. I don't care about that. Like, you know, to me, like I'll say something and if it offends you, like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm not sorry that you're offended though, because that's on you. That's how I am. I'm a little abrasive. I'm a little too straightforward and it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. I don't know if I'm ready for the Tavernari era of BYU Twitter, but here we are going into it (laughs) reluctantly. You're you're gonna have to tell me, man. You're gonna have to text me and say, like, hey, you know, BYU Twitter is way more positive now that you guys are gone. Way more negative. <laughs> I need to know who takes our mantle and and runs with it or or what it is. Because well, it ain't gonna I, be I me. Miss it. That's I, for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if in six months I hop back on, get a new uh, a new profile. Not because I'm hiding, but just right, because of course, yeah. you know, start fresh, just kind of whatever and, and probably just be a little more passive and more just be an observer there and then maybe tweet stuff out. But I, I also, as you have probably noticed over the last hour, just I, I just tend to speak my mind and I might it might be hard for me not to hit that bottom right corner feather and write something, but uh, <laughs> it'll we'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't want it any other way if that's the case. Well, Aaron, thanks again, man. Appreciate you coming on. Seriously, thanks for taking the time. And best of luck with everything in the future. If you do happen on to be on Twitter again, uh, let me know because I'll, I'll give you a follow and we can correspond over that for sure. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. All righty. Take it easy. See you, man. All right, everybody. Thank you uh, again to Aaron for popping in to share his thoughts with kind of the fallout that he had on Twitter and then also just – his general thoughts on uh, BOE sports and the state that it's in right now. I appreciated that. And I loved our back and forth. Um, before we totally close out today's episode, I did promise you that we would have kind of a specific scripture. I was going to share from my conversation with my Bishop that was there for my disciplinary council. Um, it's a really cool scripture. I'll get to it in a second. In terms of last Monday's episode, I wanted to touch on that a little bit because there were some things that came to me that dawned on me as I had, gone through in my head the podcast that I had recorded and addressing my disciplinary council and the process therein, something struck me that I wish I would have shared during the episode, but it was after recording the episode where this kind of started to come into my head, which is, I don't think we give repentance enough credit. I'm, I'm a firm, now that may sound weird to a lot of you, but talk about the role of repentance. President Nelson talks about daily repentance in his spiritual momentum talk. Why does he talk about daily repentance? I think it's because repentance and conversion are inextricably linked. And by that I mean you cannot have conversion without repentance. You cannot have repentance without conversion. In other words, that means for those that truly repent, that embrace their honesty with who they are and the state that they're in, but the direction they want to go and how that's different, and, and change their lives to be more in concert with that direction, that positive trajectory within the gospel, those are the ones that become truly converted. And I think that's why President Nelson shared daily repentance on the list of how to gain spiritual momentum. Because he knows, and he's telling us, if you want to stay converted, you need to repent daily. Now, daily repentance is not something that I admittedly adopt all the time, but it is something I've been paying attention to a lot more lately and kind of want to understand exactly how that works. Um, So I wanted to share that because I do believe those two things are very, very closely linked. Now, the scripture I wanted to share that Bishop Voorhees, I'm so glad he called about this because it was 
it did pertain to the situation I was in. It was amazing, and it just, I think it just came to him. I think he happened to be reading it, like, right around the time that I was going through that, and he felt like it fit pretty perfectly, and he was not wrong. So, the scripture is Nama 48, 17, and more specifically 18. For those of you that are quick on the scripture, it's not scripture mastery technically, but it's a very well-known scripture. You might already know what I'm referencing, which is in 17, it says, Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, Captain Moroni, that is, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Now, we all know that scripture, right? That's why Captain Moroni tends to be so highly revered. But here's the next verse, literally the next verse, and this is what Bishop Voorhees pointed out to me. He really was emphasizing Alma 48, 18. And this is what 18 says. Behold, he was a man like unto Ammon, the son of Mosiah, yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah, yea. So Aaron, Omni, and Himner as well. Yea, and also Alma and his sons, for they were all men of God. Alma and his sons. We know of Alma's three sons, specifically, that it mentions in the Book of Mormon. Helaman, Shiblon, and Corianton. Now, Helaman became the next prophet. Shiblon gets like 17 verses in his little sit-down with Alma, the prophet, Alma the Younger, his dad. Because Shiblon is kind of just under-the-radar, behind-the-scenes guy that's just solid, dependable, and consistent, which we need more people like Shiblon. Shiblon's an incredible person within the construct of getting back to the kingdom. In fact, the majority of people will be Shiblons, and Shiblon should be our goal, right? That's who we should all try to be, because then from there, God can make us into something else if he needs to. And then, and by the way, there's a talk on Shiblon that's one of my favorites in the last five to seven years. I think it was given in like 2017-ish, 2018 maybe. Um, I actually shared that in my podcast somewhere because that same... um, general authority that gave that talk ended up speaking at a state conference that I was at. And I was thrilled when I made that connection. But anyway, um, who's the other son? Corianton, the other son of Alma the Younger. Now, Corianton, his main part of the Book of Mormon is focusing on what he had done to leave the work, leave the Lord's work and go specifically visit the harlot Isabel. Now, you can kind of put that together, what that actually means. Obviously, he went wayward. Alma the Younger then likens that sin to one of the most grievous that you can actually commit next to murder. And some people have tried to make the defense that he's actually not talking about sexual morality or purity there, but that he's actually talking about abandoning the work of God. I don't know. Some people make that argument. I don't really see the benefit of that. Now, granted, we shouldn't condemn those that have had sins of the sexual nature, obviously, right? I would think that. Um, but I believe that's true. You shouldn't condemn anybody. Now, I don't see the benefit in minimizing this as a sin because I do think it is very serious and very damaging potentially, especially if not resolved with resolved the right way. But let's go back to Corianton. So Corianton, we don't really hear much. Alma the Younger just says, now go thy way and sin no more, essentially, uh, but in about three chapters worth. And then we see basically him mentioned here, because I do think there would be a qualifier. It wouldn't just be Alma and his sons, meaning Shiblon and Helaman. I think he's saying that all-encompassing. I wrote about three of his sons, 
They were highlighted in earlier chapters of this book. Um, I think he would qualify it if he wasn't talking about Corianton here. But he talks about those three sons, and I think he's talking about those three sons again in this verse. That makes perfect sense to me. And then he says, for they were all men of God. But more specifically, if these men, if all men were like unto these men, and that means Corianton as well, he fits into that category that the very powers of hell would be shaken forever. That's what he was talking about. Corianton is just like Captain Moroni. And then you actually see later Corianton is with Shiblon near the end of Alma, I believe, and they go off. Um, Shiblon's the record keeper. Corianton actually, I think, goes off with Haggoth uh, at one point. I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to verify that right now. But I think, anyway, his Corianton played a pivotal role, it sounds like, and he never abandoned the work again, and he turned it around with the atonement. Such a beautiful scripture to share in a very decisive moment of my life. And I'm really appreciative of Bishop Voorhees not just sharing that scripture in that moment, but reminding me what that scripture was. And I've actually remembered that. I've remembered that scripture, and I remember that he shared it with me, but I forgot that it was in that time. And it's very touching to think about. I could not be more grateful for his instrumental moments in my life that helped shape who I am right now, quite frankly, and helped me combat all the things I was going through in that time. And I think we have a lot of leaders just like him around. And I hope we can appreciate them as we go throughout life. I hope we can try and become those leaders. And I want to share that all with you because that was so impactful to me. And I hope once again that this was helpful. And I love you all. And thank you again for taking the time for tuning in. I'm excited about the direction of this podcast. And I'm excited to always hear from all of you. So with that, we'll go ahead and close it out. Also, wanted to say next week we'll be back. I've already got an episode tucked away that I'll be talking about It's a Wonderful Life with a special guest who happens to be a screenwriter out in Hollywood. Anyway, I love you all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for checking in, everyone. If you liked what you heard today, I ask super quickly if you could just follow or subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating, give it a review, tell your friends about it. All of that stuff helps me quite a bit. Watching the growth has been super humbling and motivating to keep going, and I could not possibly appreciate all of you more. Sitting on my table, I'm watching as everything's changing my mind, goes to a different time. Old love, I remember falling so madly. There must have been magic in the valley. And a rhythm in the night Cause I could